Hey everybody, welcome into Eminem and M Across the Board. That is Eric McDowell, Sean Martin, Ashley Miller, the three M's. You can find us on Apple, YouTube, Spotify, and Twitter at MMMATB1. We'd love you to share our content, comment on our content, give us some topics to talk about. This week, guys, we are going to go the wild card race, which as Eric called it, the wild, 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 wild card race, which is very true in Major League Baseball. The NFL, the first week, basically, guys, this proved to us that we know pretty much nothing about the NFL. Just when you think you know a lot about the NFL, you know very little, aside from the fact that the NFC West is the best division in football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to that, too. Um, it's one game. And, and that's the thing. It's one game. So there are overreactions. There are underreactions. We're going to get into all that. And then uh, Mr. Derek Jeter, I had the pleasure of going to the Hall of Fame induction ceremony last week. So we're going to touch on, as a Boston fan, a Yankees fan, and an A's fan, we have very unique perspectives on the career of one Derek Jeter. We're going to get into his career, Hall of Fame worthy, obviously, but is, you know, there are some people who still will say he's underrated. I would love to see what you guys think about that. So welcome Giambi into the safe. show. What'd you say? Giambi, Giambi was, safe. was safe. I know. He, you, said, you, you emailed me that as soon as I texted, or as soon as I emailed the topic, he said, Giambi was safe. <laughs> I felt like I see it. <laughs> All right, Eric McDowell, we're going to start with you in the wild, 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 wild card race, sis. Howdy. Howdy, partners. Take a ride. Get on that horsey, okay? <laughs> now, what fun is it to predict the wild card races in the final week of a season? It's not. Even I could probably get them right if there's only a couple days left. So what's more wild than predicting it on September 15th? Nothing, because five teams in the AL are within two and a half games, like musical chairs. Three will fall on their hindies, and two will get the chairs. In the NL, the Dodgers get a free pass, as we know that. There's no question about that. But in the senior circuit, we have five teams within three and a half games looking for just one chair to join the Dodgers. Now, remember, all of this is for one game, one for the whole shebang in each league. All right, in the AL, we'll touch on the Blue Jays. They've slugged their way to the top of the card scenario at this point and a chance to host a game, not in Dunedin, not Buffalo, but in Toronto. Yeah. Last night's taping, okay? They were the hottest baseball team in North America, 9-1, and 15-2 since August 28th, swept the Yankees in four, and lead the majors with 232 homers, 43 of those since August 27th. Now, we know about Vladdy, but watch for George Springer. When he's on the field, they average another whole run and more than 70 OPS points. And last thing on the Blue Jays, how about their pitching? We've all said it was a problem. Robbie Ray has quietly been the ray of sunshine they needed. He's 2.69, 220 Ks. He might take the side. And Jose Barrios has had five quality starts since they picked him up. He did get a little injured last night. Hopefully he's fine. So the question is, who's the other? Can the Yankees come back from their 4-12 recent stretch? They're not that bad. Can Boston shake the COVID and 6-8 of eight loss recent stretch? Can Oakland find the bullpen arms again and stop blowing leads? And can the Mariners, with Seager and Hanniger, pound their way in as the West Coast Blue Jays? I'm going to go with the Yankees to turn it around because they will feed on Baltimore, Cleveland, and Texas. Now, in the National League, this won't take long. There are five teams within three <laughs> wins of each other for the second spot to have the lovely honor of heading to L.A. And all these teams are so excited about that prospect. Just listen to this. St. Louis has been outscored, yet is in the slot for now, 
because of the other clubs cold as ice. San Diego, five straight losses. The Reds, three straight. Philly, two straight. The Mets, well, they're four outs, so goodbye. So since we have five teams more interested in tea times than teeing off against Max Scherzer, I'll just leave it that I do think with three games with the O's, four with the Pirates, and three with the Marlins, the Phillies will get in. Hmm. What do you think, Ash? I, I love that call on the Phillies. I, I'm not sure that they'll get in, but listen, to me, the Padres are done. Looking at their schedule, like you said, they've lost five in a row, but their remaining schedule, they have eight against the Giants, three against the Dodgers, three against the Braves, and three against the Cardinals. They are toast. There's no chance they come <laughs> back from that. And that's a team that everyone was talking about as like a potential division winner, but hey, surprise, the Giants blow the field away. And then, oh, by the way, you've still got the Dodgers left who clinched a playoff berth already because they're 16 games up on everybody else. And everyone's fighting for that one playoff spot. So I really do like your call on the Phillies. I think they're they're interesting because of who they have left as well. Like that division is very winnable. Um, three against the Mets, three against the O's, four against the Pirates, three against the Marlins. There's a lot of ground to be made up there for the Phillies if they decide to turn it on. Um, so, I, Eric, I really like – I think the Mets are done as well. I really like your call on the Phillies. And, obviously, uh, the Reds, I think, still have a shot at it. They've got some wiggle room. They have eight against the Pirates and four against the Nationals, so they have some room to make up um, as well. But I think the Phillies are a good call and and not the safe call, which I like. Yeah, I, I like St. Louis. Uh, you know, Adam Wainwright is like the fountain of youth guy. Um I thought he was out of the game for 10 years. It's been so long. A little exaggeration, but I like them with their veteran experience. Wayne right there, Yanni Molina. Um, you know, that matters this time of year in September. And, and that's why I think they're going to find their way in and go get their doors blown off in LA. Um, <laughs> Toronto, Toronto's got a, a run differential of plus 172. I mean, they're mashing it. They're the proverbial team. Nobody wants to play right now. And they're just taking everyone to task. I think the Yankees will get there. Watch out for Seattle. They, um, you know, they're, yeah, they're, they're doing it. The A's, boys, someone get them a parachute, pull the ripcord, help them out. That bullpen is gassed. They, 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 they signed Trevor Rosenthal in the offseason. He didn't play, got hurt, missed the whole year. So now you're seventh and eighth inning guys, or now you're eighth and ninth inning guys, and they are just worn out. And they have blown more big leads in the last 10 days, and I care to revisit, including one last night uh, in Kansas City. So they're done. Um, team COVID, a few hours east of us in Boston, I, I don't know what they're doing over there or why they're having um, having such problems, um, but that's going to come up and get you. And they just lost Chris Sale. You know, He may mm -hmm. be back soon. I, I, I'll i say this. I'll say, I'll say Toronto, New York, and then uh, if somebody else can knock them off, I'll say Seattle. You, you touched on Oakland's bullpen. Remember, Blake Trennan was there. It's it's just yep. been incredible. And and one thing that really had to hurt Oakland, and I think emotionally too, was Chris Bassett. Okay, I think he could have won the Cy Young. And that horrific injury I've seen in sports when that happens, a lot of teams have a tough time to recover. So it's not an excuse. But when you lose a Chris Bassett and the phenomenal year he was having, because Cleveland had the same thing. They had Shane Bieber. Uh, they lost him. Then they had another kid step right up, uh, Aaron Savelli, and he had them in the hunt, and then he got hurt. So we always talk about bullpens, yes, but there's also when you lose a starter, and then when yeah. you pick up a starter like Jose Barrios, 
that you get a 27-year-old kid like that. I still don't understand why the Twins gave him away uh, because of one bad year when they've dominated that division. And I think Barrios has made much the biggest impact of any AL East team. Everybody thought it would be Sale, but it's really his performance that has uh, helped Toronto's bats. Yeah, he, um, you know, Barrios was doing pretty well for Minnesota. They just decided to have a fire sale. I, I guess yeah. making the playoffs every year and winning that division wasn't good enough. Sometimes <laughs> you're going to hit a speed bump, and that's what they did. And then they just divested themselves of of too much talent because now you're kind of in a rebuild. Yeah, I think, guys, Jeff Passan tweeted something the other day that I thought, wow, this is pretty interesting. Vlad Guerrero, George Springer, Bo Bichette, like when that when this group is healthy, one through five, they're killer. The other night, their six through nine hitters were like eight of ten. And then he says, Oh, by the way, you've got as your starters, we already mentioned the two guys, and then Hinjin Ryu is your third pitcher. Like <laughs> teams would kill to have that guy as their third best starter, or you know, any given day, it could be between Barrios and, and Hinjin Ryu. But this team is primed. I mean, they're already like playing the best baseball of the season right now. And they showed you like they mopped the floor with the Yankees at Yankee <laughs> Stadium and they've continued to just kind of go on. And I think that team gets in. I do think the Yankees maybe figure it out. The The one thing about Boston is like their schedule is pretty favorable. They've got six against the Orioles, two against the Mets, three against the Nats. So um, I think if they can get healthy or if they can get sale back in the somewhat near future, they have a shot. Um, but to me, the next six to eight games for the Yankees are huge because they have two against the Orioles, three against Cleveland, three against the Rangers. You have to win those games. Like you almost have to win all of those games because you close out the season, three against the Red Sox, three against Toronto, three against Tampa. So if you're not there for those last nine games, like if you if you're not even for those last nine games, there's no way they get in. So I do think like the Yankees have kind of a tough sledding schedule for the final nine games of the season, tougher than anybody else that they're in that mix with. Um, so the next eight games for them will tell a lot because the second half of the next 16 games is a pretty tough sledding for, uh, for New York. You know, I, I talked about the experience I think will help the Cardinals, but you got to take those things on a case by case basis. I look at the blue Jays, that's a young team that looks like they are having the time of their lives. Call it youthful exuberance, call it whatever you want, and that's what I like about them mm -hmm. going going into October into a one-gamer. They're, they're just whatever. If there's pressure, they're not feeling it. They're just going yep. out and having a good time, and you can see how much fun they're having playing the game. Yep. Well, the only thing they've lost that was good was Vladimir Guerrero's weight. <laughs> and that made such a difference. So the last piece yeah. for me on this is I was not a fan of the wild card. I was a traditionalist, but I have to say, as we hand into the last week, there's a lot of cities excited, and we're going to have some bucking Broncos, and there's going to be some teams falling off the horse in that final week. Good luck. Thanks for your thoughts. Yeah, guys, I went to uh, Yankee Stadium last week. Uh, we went to catch up with Kevin Smith, who's local to our area, and he was up with the Blue Jays big club, he's since been sent back down to their AAA club, but we went down to the stadium and we literally just went down to go catch up with him and to shoot batting practice before the game. So we're down on the field and just watching the Blue Jays out there. Like it seemed like no big deal. 
Like, you know, just another day. Who cares that it's Yankee Stadium? Who cares that we're about to sweep the Yankees? Who cares that we've won 15 of our last 18? Or You know what I mean? Like, it just, it didn't matter to them. And they're all wearing these, like, Robbie for Cy Young shirts. Every single one of them. So, like, this is just a group that you can tell genuinely likes one another, and they're just having a really good time out there. And it was so apparent being out there on the field that it's like watching, like, a Little League team or a college team that is playing because they genuinely love the game, but they also really enjoy one another, which was kind of cool to see. I hated to see it, um, but it was kind of cool to see from that perspective. Yeah, you know, Robbie Ray. Hey, nerd alert. Uh, I got offered Robbie Ray in a trade in my fantasy baseball league, (laughs) been in 32 years, in like early May. And I was like, Robbie Ray? Yeah. What do I, you know, come on, seriously? That might explain why I'm in 11th place out of a 12th, (laughs) <laughs> 12 team league and the guy who has Robbie Ray and still has him offered him to me is poised to win his fourth title in six years. Oh. So he better thank you. He should thank me. Maybe I'll split the prize money with him. If you're watching, you know who you are. Mm-hmm. I did you a personal favor. <laughs> so yeah, I again with the Blue Jay, you don't know what you don't know. And maybe yep. they don't know pennant race pressure. Maybe they mm-hmm. don't have to because they're just going out and they're just mashing people. Yep. And you know what? Good for them. And even I'll tell you what, the underrated signing of the off season was Marcus Simeon. Yeah. He was a monster in Oakland a few years ago, took a step back. Mm -hmm. The blue Jays took a flyer on him. um, And he has just lit it up this year, even with a position change, moving to second base with Boba being an all-star shortstop. I mean, that offense, who who wants to face that lineup? They're brutal. I mean, he's, he's putting up MVP numbers. He's arguably been Mm -hmm. their best player and they've got, you know, we've already mentioned the names. We mentioned the star power, but he's yeah. been one of their best players. And um, yeah, I, I agree. De- sign the most underrated signing of the absolutely. Of the he was third in the uh, MVP voting just a few years ago for the mm-hmm. for the A's. And actually, he was a guy when he got there, he couldn't feel the ball to save his life, mm-hmm. and he worked on his defense. And now he's pretty good at it. So his yeah. his value is is through the roof for uh, for Toronto. To me, guys, all the divisions in the AL, I mean, the closest division, the Astros, and they're up six and a half. So I think the divisions yeah. in the AL are, are done and set. Uh, any, does anybody, like Eric, you say Phillies wildcard, any shot the Phillies catch the Braves for the division? Is that division still up in the air or is that done deal Braves for you? I've been on the Braves, as you know, from day yep. one, and I really think they'll hold on. And then the yep. question Obviously, you don't want to be a manager unless you're Tony Larusa right now or Dave <laughs> Rock or just Larusa, because you can't save your ace. You can't. It's very difficult to Saturday not pitch your ace and then think, well, we'll have our number three Monday. They may not be a number three Monday. Mm-hmm. They may not be a Tuesday. So the fun thing to watch now will be how in the world do you manage your staff? Do you hold them off now to keep them fresh when Saturday, Sunday, and hopefully Monday, then you're on a plane and you start, you know, sometimes Tuesday. I don't know how in the world you manage because you've got this game we got to win or there's no tomorrow. So it's mm-hmm. going to be very interesting to watch that. Yeah, hey, one division to look out. Don't, don't rule out the Dodgers winning the West. Kershaw's back. Um, you know, they're one of those teams that they just get in and, and you know, let the experience take over. But I think mm-hmm. if you're a if you're a manager, you want to win your division. You want to get a couple days off and get that pitching staff in order. So I could see them overtaking the Giants down the stretch. Um, but that's that's really the only close division race as far as division champ goes. Yeah. 
All right. Well, on that note, M M M A across the board is brought to you by Mohawk Honda. The current supply and demand challenges within the auto industry makes this a perfect time for you to get top dollar for your vehicle. Right now at Mohawk Honda, you can take advantage of the Kelly Blue Book instant cash offer. They will put cash in your hand for your vehicle the same day you come in, even if you don't buy from them. I kind of like that. That's a pretty sweet deal, especially <laughs> for all those recent college grads or students in need of a new ride or, for, or some extra cash. Mohawk Honda has consistently kept their lot fully stocked with hundreds of pre-owned vehicles. Their large inventory makes shopping fun as you browse through the many makes and models to choose from. You can also check out their full section selection online. Stop in and say hi to Greg Johnson, the assistant general manager, Jake Hot Sauce Doyle. How do you get that nickname? Good for him. That's a good one. Lewis, the VIP man, Morales, or one of the many helpful sales consultants in here at Mohawk Honda. There's a vast selection of Honda certified pre-owned vehicles, so now is the time to take advantage of the Kelly Blue Book instant cash offer. Mohawk Honda in Glenville, where they always go out of their way to please you. And one more little treat this week uh, for our viewers, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, uh, and Twitter, MMMATB1. Whoever, when we post our show, the first person to retweet the show with the hashtag Paisans Pizza, P-A-E-S-A-N-S Pizza, will win a free gift card from Paisans. So please retweet it with that hashtag and have at it. Their personal pizzas are awesome. Uh, Paisans is great. That's my family orders from there all the time. We love giving yeah. stuff away on this show. It's our first giveaway. It's our first giveaway. That's awesome. when you know you've made it. I'll vouch for that place. That's when that's good stuff. stuff. My yep. five-year-old twins swear by it. I Sean, before your next segment, I do want to say, uh, Ashley knows I wore an A hat in honor of Ashley today. The letter Aww. S. And can you tell what school this is from? Yeah, I know. It's Michigan from State? one of my rivals. Yeah. Sparty, correct. So, Sean, thank you for your service. Thank you. And we'll hear from Michigan State later. Okay. So a couple of years ago, the Packers got off to a tough start. Aaron Rodgers got up in front of the media and said, R-E-L-A-X. A-X. Well, guess what? He, had, he hasn't said it this week, but I will. He might okay? as well I have. Saw, I saw a social media post the other day suggesting that Aaron Rodgers, in an effort to sabotage the Packers, threw the game on Sunday in against New Orleans. That didn't happen. Okay, here's the problem with week one, especially this year with the extended season, the extra game. A lot of regulars did not play in the preseason. Yeah. Even if they did play, they probably didn't play as much as they usually do. You're going to have to work the kinks out. That's how Mm -hmm. I see week one. So if I'm Green Bay, hey, look, you got your doors blown off by the Saints. Okay, you know what? It happens. Move on. Right, you got Detroit yep. coming in. Detroit showed some heart the other night, mm-hmm. the other day against San Francisco. Good for them. Buffalo, same thing. They had that lead against Pittsburgh. I'm not sure how they lost it. They'll be okay. It's not the end of the world. Now, whose world is ending? Hey, look, Urban Meyer might be already looking at LA. And, uh, <laughs> I think Urban Meyer's in for a for a hard dose of reality with Jacksonville this year, and to to get thumped by. I'll give the Houston Texans credit. They won one more game than I thought they would. They, I mean, and, and the way that they did it, like, I don't yeah. care that Jacksonville's bad. Then when you put up 30 plus points, like that surprised a lot of people. And for all the coaches that never get a chance, how about Ollie? Okay. He's waited forever to be a head coach. Good for him. Yeah. 
<clears throat> other ones to to Minnesota, you'll be fine. Yeah, you don't want to lose to Cincinnati. I still think they'll be okay. Tennessee, I don't know what happened to Tennessee. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, wow. That was a actually you called the NFC West. I mean, they're they're four and oh. Yep. The team we all kind of thought Arizona, are they gonna get out of the last place? They went into Tennessee, which is a tough place. To, yeah. to go and absolutely blew their doors up. And the other team that I'd be worried about right now is my first place pick in the NFC East, Washington. I only took them because Ryan Fitzpatrick had some, yep. some good experience there, and now he's going to sit for six to eight weeks. Um, we'll see what they can do um, on their end, um, but it could be a bad Stunned that they haven't signed Cam already. It doesn't make sense. It, yeah, I'm but- good if you want to ride with Taylor Heineke, but <laughs> – Cam Newton's on the market and he played for Ron Rivera already. Doesn't it make too much sense to let him just sit out there and not be on your team? No, it it it, it makes perfect sense to tell you that Cam Newton, I think, is kind of overrated. And if if Ron Rivera really wanted Cam, he would have had him last year. Right? I understand I mean, he's he overrated, but if you, Taylor Heineke is now your number one option, I'll take Cam Newton. I'll let <laughs> I'll let Taylor Heineke ride for a few a few weeks. But what happens if Taylor Heineke goes? Oh, for the first four. You're going to tell me you don't want Cam Newton as your backup quarterback? If Heineke gets hurt, you're going to need to call Meineke, okay? Because there's yeah. going to be a lot of fans that will need to be muffled. That's going to be a exactly. disaster. Maybe <laughs> Jeff George gets the ball. I, I mean, love you, it. What did we say a few weeks ago, Sean, about you got to have a good quality backup? You got to yep. have a good quality backup. I don't care if you're Brady, Unitas, or Bradshaw, there's got to be a good quality backup. And now one game in, and look at that mess. I honestly, let's go back to Cam for a second. I think Cam has come off the last few. Look, he, he's a he's a great athlete, former MVP, right? I think the physical toll that his body has taken has has had an effect on him. But when I see Newton now, I see a guy that's more interested in being colorful and what's he going to wear to the stadium today, rather than being an NFL quarter. And the fact that the Patriots cut bait with him is very telling. You know, he had the issue where the the misunderstanding on the on the COVID protocols in preseason. Um, I think there's more to it there. And the fact that his former coach has not called him, there's got to be a little more to that story than just upgrading the, the quarterback position. You, you can't yeah. – there, there's no question, Ashley, I'd, I'd love to hear your thought on this, is that you can't have a quarterback – I'm sorry this isn't anything, you know, against people who don't want to take a vaccine. It's your choice. But my point is he did not want to take a vaccine, and they looked and said, what happens if we have to put him in quarantine in the middle of a season for 10 days? I think that was a major part, uh, not not just Matt Jones' great play, but I, for Cam to be like that and not being blacklisted, I don't think anybody wants to put themselves in that situation. Yeah, again, I get it. But people are picking Washington to win the division with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. Well, now that he's not at quarterback, and maybe, like I said, if you hope it's going to be on the short end, if you hope it's going to be the, if it's four to six weeks, you hope it's going to be four. If it's six to eight weeks, you hope it's going to be six. I get it. But you could bury yourself if you start one and five, you're done. You're done. Yeah, I don't care what division it is. I don't care if it's the worst division in football, you're still done. So I'm still surprised that you don't take a fall or go get somebody. I mean, I don't know who's yeah. out there, but he's probably the best option that's out there. There's nobody floating <laughs> around on the market in week one. I can't argue with that point. Uh, again, I just think with with Newton specifically, I, I can't think of anybody who's out there um, either that, that might come in and help. Right. You know, because your quarterback's tough. You got to come in, you got to yep. learn a new system. It's not like you come in and take some snaps the first week. 
I again back to Newton. I just think there's more to that story, and, and that's mm-hmm. why he's sitting home right now. Yeah, you could see a trade for Brissett or something like that. But if I'm Scott right. Turner, the offensive coordinator, you're not you don't have the luxury of saying, well, we can't bring Cam in because we'd have to change our offense. Right. You don't have the time to do that. So they right. may trade for a uh, veteran backup elsewhere. To backup. Yep. Yeah. And I saw me, Robert. Well, go, go ahead. ahead. Ooh. I saw Robert Griffin III put up something on Instagram, him back in a Redskins jersey. Um, I'd love uh, to see that. I, I always liked him. I thought Mike Shanahan wrecked his career by playing him in the playoff game against mm-hmm. Seattle way back when. But, uh, you know, I don't know if that time has passed. Yeah, uh, Sean, I just wanted to go – because you kind of listed off a few of your surprises. I wanted to go back to the Packers. The good news for the Pack, they're not going to be that bad. They're not going to get beat by 30 every game. Their offense will come around. Their defense isn't good. It hasn't been good in the last seven years. Like, that's not surprising. Um, The good news for them is that division isn't very good. It's mediocre at best. So if they even like somewhat smell the salts a little bit, I think they'll be just fine. And and so the whole R-E-L-A-X thing couldn't ring more true than the most ridiculous overreaction from week one. Am I surprised they came out and laid an egg? Yes. Am I surprised Jameis Winston threw five touchdowns and no interceptions? Yes. I think probably most people were. But – We know that Jameis Winston is not going to throw five touchdowns and no interceptions every game, and that Aaron Rodgers is not going to throw zero touchdowns and two interceptions every game, so things will be just fine. To me, it was Tennessee. I I was aghast at that performance. They did not look prepared at all. I think part of the bit about guys not playing to start, we all were pretty much seemed to be in the Tennessee bandwagon. I get it's early. But that's that performance was very disappointing. And I think the high point, I will admit, I trashed Houston last week. I'm sorry. I don't think we're going to go 16 and 0. But congrats to the, to the Houston Texans. What a tremendous performance. This goes back to teams and people that aren't respected at that level. And when you mention that in the locker room, and as I said, a coach who has waited his whole career to get a head job, he gets that game ball. And no matter what happens from here, that is a, a high point, And that's a great thing for him, his staff, his new staff, and Texans fans. So those were my two shockers. The other the other thing I noticed, I'm not surprised the Chiefs beat the Browns, but if you're Cleveland, you got to close that game out. If you want to take the next step and become mm-hmm. elite, specifically a Baker Mayfield, they looked very good in that game. I watched pretty much all of it. you got to close that game out. I know it's at Kansas City, and they're obviously one of the best teams. They're an elite team in the league. But you have them down. You've got to put your foot on their throat and close it out. And the Browns didn't do it. And Mayfield had a couple chances to do so and didn't get it done. I said in our, our preview last week, this is kind of the year for Baker Mayfield. Are you – he reminds some people of Brett Favre, reminds me of Brett Favre. Are you elite like that? Can you lead a team to a win in a game like that? He didn't do it last week. They didn't really even threaten coming down the stretch in the last couple minutes. And they had the ball, I think, two different times where he could have. Um, so we'll see. They kind of, I'll call it a, a breather this week with Houston coming to town, kind of give them a chance to get things right. But uh, the Browns are so close to making that step, uh, and they didn't get it done on week one. They'll have more chances as the season goes along. Though. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how that division plays out too in the AFC North because, I, listen, I, the Bills weren't the Bills that I think we will see eventually. But, like, the Steelers have the chance to be a good team. Their defense is really good. The Ravens put up a fight, and we thought, like, well, they're so injury-plagued, Lamar Jackson's going to have to put them on their back and carry them. 
And the Bengals got a win against a team that I think we all think is pretty decent in the Vikings. Yeah. So that, that division to me, I think could go a lot of different ways, which makes things exciting. The Browns are the best team in the division. Um, I think they will take the next step. I just don't know that it's like, I'm not, because it's week one, I'm not concerned about them. I, I think they'll, they'll get there. Who knows if they'll at any point, you know, if they meet the chiefs in the playoffs, if they will beat them, but they're the chiefs. It's no, you know, I don't know that anyone's going to be like, yeah, I'm going to pick the Browns to beat the chiefs. I, I think we're still a year or two away from that happening, but yeah, anyway, I, I, I think that division's interesting. You know, I'm not banging on the Browns for not winning the game. I'm just saying for a team that's right yeah. on the cusp, yep. that's the type of game you want to see them go win. out and get it done. Yep. And, uh, and the, the game that should have been finished, and I'm not going to bury Damian Harris. He's a rookie running back. Oh. He had a great job for the Patriots. You feel for the kid. Now, in the past, Belichick sits the kid, or he shifts somebody else into the role. They've done that. I really hope he doesn't because that yeah. kid had a phenomenal game. And it was really neat to see Mac Jones do what he had to do. And you could see him a lot going. He he really, it's cool. The story behind that is he's always done that, you know, take a deep breath. He's listening to McDaniels. So very encouraging, tough loss, great win for Miami. Uh, tremendous. Yep. And I think the other thing, as Sean is very happy about, it was worth staying up. What a night in Las Vegas. What a great night. For Raiders fans who have been beaten and thrown to different cities, etc. What a wonderful thing for the Raider nation. Before we get into the Raiders real quick, I think Mac Jones has already showed why he will probably be the rookie of the year, which I, Sean and I had mentioned last week that we think. I just think he did everything he had to do. Were it not for the fumble, I think that they would have won that game. Um, yes. But, that you know, it's football. Things happen. Go ahead, Mr. Raider. Yeah, look, I didn't know the Raiders were on the docket today, but since this is where we are, of course they are. Let's have at it. Look, here, here, we get in overtime the other night. The Raiders go first and goal at the one foot line and stuffed on the quarterback keeper. Offensive a false start by my rookie tackle, and then an interception on a former Raven that got to catch that ball. <laughs> There's nothing more Raiders than that. Right. And then the Ravens took the ball and I said, we're, we're done. We're going to lose this game. I've seen this movie far too often. <laughs> but, but not on Monday nights. You haven't Monday nights. The Raiders own it. Right. That was 30 years ago when I had a full head of hair. We're gonna make this <laughs> but the Raider defense played with a lot of spirit and a lot of energy. Max Crosby better win the AFC defensive player of the week. He was a beast, even in overtime, chasing down Lamar Jackson. They made the big plays when they had to, and that's something I'm. That's a movie I'm not familiar with. Is the Raider defense coming through, and then to come back and win the game? I, you know, tough to you know twelve fifteen in the morning to then say, okay, now I'm going to go to bed. Um, yeah, I think I fell asleep around one. I was a little jacked uh, up at six with my boys, and uh, a four pot coffee day got me right through it. And here we are. It was it was just a great win, and Daniel Carlson with a career high 55 yarder at the end regulation. It was a lot of fun. It was great to see the enthusiasm in the stadium. Um, new digs. I'll never get over leaving Oakland, but I'll tell you what, that, that's a pretty good start there. And Beautiful they can, stadium. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. And and hopefully they can continue to build on, on one win and, and head up to uh Schittsburg on, I'm sorry, Pittsburgh on Sunday and uh, <laughs> take care of the Steelers and go to one 
<laughs> yeah, and that division looks okay too. Hey, how about Bridgewater, Mr. Eric McDowell? Yes, ma'am. I mean, you, you, know, you beat my bad Giants. There's not, you know, I you can't get too excited about any team that beats the Giants. But Teddy looked good. That listen, that one play, he showed that play, the touchdown to Albert. Uh, I had to say this on the air, and I couldn't get it. Oh no, I did get it, but I had to listen to it right before I went out. Okubanam, Okubanam, something like that. I, yeah. That play, he pump faked. He like deked him. That is te- that's what a healthy Teddy Bridgewater can do. That's right. And I will say that the word healthy before Teddy yeah. Bridgewater. Yep. Next year, when I have our rookie chart, our jury is still out chart and bust chart. I will create a new category, the Bridgewater category. <laughs> How's that? I just like to give you a hard time. Oh, last week to Buffalo fans, Buffalo Mafia. It's okay, Bills Mafia. Yeah, okay. Just Tough opener, tremendous coaching by Tomlin and that defense. And so hang tight. The kid's young. The season is long. Bills Mafia, don't get down. It's just one yep. game. But yeah. they got to go to Miami this week. Right. 0-2 is staring them right in the face. Um, and here's the other problem the Bills and the Packers have. Nobody in the history of predictions is worse at Super Bowl stuff than this guy. And Buffalo, <laughs> if you go 6-11, and 11, blame me. I'll take yeah. the heat. I'll own it. I picked them, too. Well, I didn't pick them to win it, but I picked them to get there. So I picked them to yeah. win it. So if they, they fall on their face, it is my fault. And I got the yeah. Packers winning. Guys, I think so as – I think the Texans were one of the big shockers to me. The Titans obviously were another. And I understand the Texans are a bad team, but I'm still stunned at how they did what they did. The Eagles, to me, were also kind of like – I looked at the score and I was like, man, I know they're not playing a good team, but they're still, again, putting up 30-plus points. And all of a sudden people are thinking, well, maybe Jalen Hurts is the quarterback of the future Mm -hmm. after we talked about him not being the quarterback of the future. What do you guys think of – that and, and again, now that division, like the division was already up for grabs. I still think the Cowboys are probably the best team in the division, but the Cowboys could go out to LA and lose this week. And then we're talking about like if the Eagles are two and all, all of a sudden it's like, holy cow. Yeah, I, I, I kind of think that that win was as much about Philly as it was about Atlanta, and they're yeah. not very good. Yeah. Uh, you know, Matt Ryan. Yeah, he's kind of regressed. Maybe he needs to change the scenery or just some more talent around him. So we'll see. Philly's going to have some time to prove it. But the Falcons aren't very good either. Um, you know, we'll see. But, yeah, Philadelphia looked good. To, to go on the road and dismantle mm-hmm. anybody in the NFL is a pretty good job. Yep. Give some love to the Lions for that comeback. Yeah. I mean, nobody saw that coming. What mm-hmm. what great effort. And I think the fans that are there, that has to be encouraging. And for Matthew Stafford. I really thought he would have a phenomenal game. He looks like a kid again. He's got toys to play with. I don't know if he was happy because he took the field as a Ram or he was happy (laughs) because he realized for the first time in 15 years, I could be home with my family on Thanksgiving. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, I thought thought it said a lot about the Lions. Um, And I know, listen, when you get up that big, it's it's tough to not kind of give it away. And you're probably pulling people out and people aren't really – you know, playing the way that they should. I thought it said a lot about golf, but I also thought it said a lot about Dan Campbell. And I wasn't a big Dan Campbell guy, but any players who are going to put in effort, and it's week one, I understand. So you're not just going to give up because you're down by 20 plus points. But 
when players are playing with effort and heart and you're down three touchdowns, I think that says as much about the coach as it does the players. So that to me was impressive. And I yeah. thought, huh, maybe they, you know, maybe they actually enjoy playing for him. Maybe, maybe he's a good coach. We'll see. Yeah. I, I didn't know much about Campbell at the start of the year or when he got hired, but what yep. I learned about him pretty quick was he's going to bring an attitude and a toughness to that team. Uh, and that, that trickles down. Mm-hmm. If the team's going to yeah. buy into what the coach is selling yep. and, and, and for them to hang in there, uh, like I said, against you know a good 49er team and come back, it does speak well for them. Looking forward to their game at Green Bay and see if they can build off of their second half uh, uh, last week. Yeah, for sure. Um, the Cardinals, it, guys, that division is awesome because I thought to myself, well, they're 4-0. Everyone in that division was 4-0. We talked about the Packers division 0-4. So it's funny to see the juxtaposition and once everyone starts playing one another in the division, where those numbers go, because eventually people are going to start losing in the West. Uh, it's just that's how it has to be. But it's amazing to think all four of those teams won. All four of them looked very good. And yet when I talked about the Seahawks, I, I picked them to be last in the division. It's not that far fetched. Like right. it, it could end up being any of these teams because you lose a few games in the division and all of a sudden you're, looking you're on the outside looking in somebody could win that division nine and seven and on the paper yeah. you'll say oh they're only nine and seven well good luck to whoever has to play them yeah right? and that'll be you're not gonna that'll win 11 be or 12 games in that division yep any team that gets in from that division is nobody's mm-hmm. gonna want to play because you're gonna get you could get a nine and seven team from the that wins the nfc east right. in and you'll get a wild card team from that the other division that's going to be like, well, I don't want to play that team because I'd rather I'd rather play the NFC East champ. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, M M and M across the board: Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Twitter at MMMATB1. We are brought to you in part by Johnstone Supply in Troy, New York. Fall is officially here. I saw some leaves on the ground the other day. And that means changes may be coming to your home. Does your furnace need to be replaced? Or are you looking for an upgrade for heating your heating system? Johnstone Supply and Troy can make sure your home is heated properly for this colder weather on the way. A family-owned and operated business, Johnstone Supply and Troy has been helping upstate New York residents for decades. Visit their store on 6th Avenue in Troy for more information on how they can help you this fall. Whether it's finding the proper change to your filters or making sure your home is heated properly for the new weather, Johnstone Supply in Troy staff can help you answer any questions you may have. From George to Tom and many more, the staff is looking forward to help see, helping you and seeing you. Follow them on Facebook or call them today at 518-272-5922. Johnstown Supply in Troy. And don't ever underestimate changing your filters in your furnace. It matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got that this. right. <laughs> I do it twice a year. Ashley. Yes, sir. Well, guys, I had the uh, the pleasure, I'll say, and this is one of the benefits of of working in the media. We say we always get to go to to do some pretty cool stuff and we get paid for it at the same time. Now, listen, the the downside is, is a lot of times people think like, well, you're going to watch it and you get to see it and absorb it. Well, no, when we go cover games half the time, you know, we're working. So it's like we don't get to enjoy it as a fan. I got to go to Cooperstown last week to cover Derek Jeter's Hall of Fame induction, as well as Larry Walker and two others. Um, as a Yankee fan, this was cool for me. I'd never, I've been to Cooperstown. I've never been to a Hall of Fame induction. So for the first time to go to a Hall of Fame induction, to have it be Jeter was kind of a cool moment. 
the bad thing was, is it went so long that he probably took the stage at 3.55 and we had to be live in the four o'clock news. So we're like in the backfield listening to his speech as we're live on television. So I was there. Uh, I, it wasn't exactly, you know, I, I didn't get to see as much of it as I'd hoped, but I could hear it. Um, so just a really cool moment. And I wanted to bring up Derek Jeter is for some strange reason, because he's a Yankee, I think is part of it. One of like the most polarizing figures in terms of not in terms of like his off the field, like he did everything right, but he's one of the most polarizing. And like, I think other fan bases, they always want to just destroy his accomplishments and say how overrated he is. I always hear as a Yankee fan how overrated he is. So I wanted to bring him up because the numbers speak for themselves. The votes speak for themselves. He's in the Hall of Fame. He was one sh- one vote shy. Um, we've got very unique perspectives on this. So I'm interested to see as Red Sox fans, as A's fans. When we were in Cooperstown, we asked everyone what their favorite moment was. And it was resounding, like unanimous. It was the play against the A's. Um, there was no instant replay. So I know you're going to say Giambi safe, but let's dive into the career and how you feel about Jeter as an opposing fan base. I'll let the Red Sox fan go first. All right, let's do it, Eric. Well, let me, let me uh, get off the fan base. Then I'll give that. But first of all, let me say the, the New York Yankees franchise is iconic. So to me, if you're the scoring leader of the Boston Celtics or Montreal Canadiens or rushing passing leader, the Packers, you are iconic. Derek Jeter is the all-time hits leader of the New York Yankees. He is iconic. He should have been unanimous. Okay. So I'm a baseball fan first and Derek Jeter. I don't want to hear about Hannes Wagner and comparing. The fact is in our lifetime, Derek Jeter is iconic, just like the franchise he plays in and he stayed there. And number two will never be worn again. Now, as a Boston fan, okay, uh, we grow up and we we are geared to not like New York teams, okay? Sure. But I've been, I saw Jeter play, I think, three times in New York. One of them was with my in-laws, my wife, where we were, happened to be the day that Mike Mussina pitched his last game. Both teams were out of it at the time. When Jeter would step into the box, there was a, uh, you couldn't boo, okay? You were booing the uniform, but not the person. Never has there been anything controversial about him. The effort he gives. Boston is a hardworking city, okay, and people want to see the best. If a guy makes a leaping catch like Cheater did, they're going to cheer because it was a phenomenal catch. Okay, mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. So he's the one Yankee that I could say personally, and even my grandmother, if she was around now, would say too, it's hard for me to boo him because of the effort he, he, does, he has. He's a winner. We always said, boy, wouldn't he look good in this uniform, okay? But to me, uh, it is about class, and I was thrilled for his last game in Boston that Poppy and Pedro, and and they rolled out the gifts. He did get the tour. Okay, that's great, you know, that Kansas City gave him something, and he got barbecue (laughs) with St. Louis, whatever. But in Boston, and to hear Michael Kay and Sterling say, what a class act, there is a lot of class there. It goes back to George Steinbrenner every year would donate to the Jimmy Fund, okay? Sometimes you put all that other stuff aside and show respect. So I think it was interesting how Jeter was was revered for one day as a baseball player. And for one day, we could take that NY off and just look at the man. So that's my feeling. I think a lot of people in New England would agree with that, is that uh, he deserves unanimous. But you know what? He's in great yeah. speech. 
and I look forward to seeing his plaque uh, the next time we head there. Yeah. Yeah. Eric, you used the word class and it's very fitting here. Uh, he should have been a unanimous choice. You go back to Giambi. I was joking around when we started the show. I do think he was safe, but I think the thing about Jeter is some players have it. Mm-hmm. And one, one of his thing is the feel for the game. Who else would have been in that spot to, to go get the ball and then, and then to flip it to the catcher and break my heart on a night where I was at a party with all Yankee fans. Um, Yeah, it was awful. Um, (laughs) The thing about Jeter fitting, he went five for five to get to his 3000th hit. Unbelievable. For for all his great accomplishments. (laughs) One, you could tell he was the team leader of that group, that dynasty in the late nineties, early two thousands. I think one of Jeter's greatest accomplishments is keeping his personal life personal. In a media market like New York City and a target on his back, he kept it clean and good for him um, because so many others, you know, a lot of his teammates, you know, the guy with the needle sticking out of his backside playing third base all those years. Um, you can you can get in a lot of trouble when, when you're a star, especially in New York City, and give Jeter credit. He handled things with class, with grace. He was a true professional. It, it was hard to root for or root against him. Um, not much of a Yankee fan, but it was very difficult to root against Jeter because, like Eric just said, what's not to like? I mean, he made big plays. He was always in the right spot. He was a great baseball player, and he understood the game. Um, so, yeah, you know, good for him, and, uh, you know, I'm glad he got his moment. Yeah, I think part of – it's funny. I think part of the – part of it is jealousy, and that's that's the case with any player. Sure, like part of it. Fan bases are jealous that they have a certain player and then you hate that guy. And I get it. Like I never liked Poppy until after he retired, but that's just part of the game. But I always respected, you know, Poppy's abilities. And I, you know, I was never the person who was like, oh, that guy sucks. He can't hit. Of course he can. So I, I, to me as a Yankee fan, I'm like, well, I can't respect your opinion if you just can't look at the numbers and appreciate what they are. Um, But these numbers are absurd. And I understand he played 20 seasons. He won 25% of the years he played, he won a World Series, which is ridiculous. But he has a record 158 postseason games. Like, he played a full season, a full extra season of postseason games. He hit 308 in the postseason. 111 runs scored, 200 hits in the postseason, 20 home runs, 61 RBIs. Like, those are numbers that people would kill for half of they'd kill for a quarter of, you know what I mean? Like you look at like 150. Well, yeah, that's cause he played a long time and he played for the best team, but yeah, but he was one of the best players on the best team. So that to me, it, it speaks. He's so clutch. And you said he came to work every day and effort. The effort was there. I think Eric, you used the word effort. His, one of his sound bites was like, I played every game like it was going to be the last game I ever played and like it was the most important game I ever played. And you could tell that. There was never any give up. Like never on a field, in a, in a, he gets hit a ground ball. There's never, he never gave up on the play. He never came up short on it. Like he always tried no matter what the scenario was. And that was, I think, what I respected most. And that's what New Yorkers respected most about him. Because kind of like Boston, it's like pick up your lunch pail and your hard hat and go to work. And that was Derek Cheater. And, and my friends, the media, older friends or friends my age, tell, tell me about the stories of him uh, with the minor leagues here in our market in the Capital District of New York, folks. Mm-hmm. Derek Jeter was a very young, thin, 
tiny looking player probably looked more like a rookie kicker i guess yeah uh, and he persevered he struggled he was being thrown into he was going to become the star shortstop not the star but the the shortstop on the new york yankees and he focused on that he he could have many other players in the minor leagues they know how tough it is to make it to the majors even for a sip of coffee never mind a cup just to get a sip of coffee and he persevered and he had a chip on his shoulder that we never heard about. You never heard him complain. And, and it's fun to talk to the people about what he was like then. I want to compare him in some extent to Tom Brady in this way, okay, is that they have the chip, okay, either low draft or there's an expectation, but they believe in themselves. Brady more so when he goes up to Robert Kraft and says, I will be your starting quarterback and you're third in the depth chart. But Jeter was Steinbrenner, Steinbrenner early on. There were some questions about the kid. And then he believed in him, and he named him captain. So when you think of the all-time Yankees lineup, okay, I have a fun little hobby, a computer game, and I play the all-time Yankees, and I've got Jeter at short, Lazeri, Ruth Gehrig, DiMaggio, Mantle, okay? If you could put the Yankees in real life on an all-time team, those guys would love to have Jeter as their tapes, mm -hmm. as their uh, pace setter. Really cool, but congrats to him especially for persevering any young athlete out there, any kid, high school, whatever, don't give up, believe in yourself, watch what can happen. Yeah. I think with Jeter, the Yankees knew what they had because they issued them number two and mm -hmm. they don't give out those single digits very yeah. easily. And there's not many left. They're all retired. <laughs> yep. Here's where the Jeter detractors come in and there is some validity to it though. It's not against Jeter. It's more the situation. With A-Rod at third, Cano was at second to share a big contract at first base. There was no place to put him when he lost a couple of steps at shortstop. So yeah. the people that were anti-Jeter was, well, he's got no range. He's giving up a lot of runs. And they were right. But the Yankees' problem was he was so good and so iconic, you can't let him go to another franchise to finish his career. That cannot happen. So you kind of had to placate the situation. Again, this isn't anti-Jeter, but what else are you going to do with him? Okay, you got to give him that shortstop hole. I think it hurt him for a couple of years. The same way, and fair enough, I might need help getting in my car tonight after saying this when this goes public. The same thing happened to the Orioles with Cal Ripken's streak. Okay, you can't tell me playing every game for 42 years in a row doesn't wear you down and affect your effort. But that streak was alive and they had to let him go until it was time for it to end. But with that, it does come at a cost. Now, if that's the worst thing you could say at Jeter was that he lost yeah. a step because he was 40 and he's playing right. the uh, most difficult position in the game, don't blame Jeter that the Yankees boxed themselves in that situation, but you have to let him play and you have to let him finish up. Yeah. He's earned that. And I was going to say, that's part of that. That could be said about any franchise. Drew Brees in New Orleans, like he lost a step. Eli Manning in New York, like the, it happens in every sport. People get old. And you know what? He's earned, he gave you five World Series championships. He's earned the right to tell you when he wants to be done. And sometimes that's just what you have to deal with. And it wasn't like he was a huge liability. He wasn't the worst shortstop in the league. So you you deal with it. And you know, Sinestra is, is hitting. It was so clutch. There are moments like the 2001 World Series, the home run at home where he, you know, yeah. pumps his fist. They were down 2-0. They leave up 3-2. Like, that whole, just everything about it was so good. Sean, you mentioned the 3,000 hit game. I have friends that were going to that game who were so disappointed that they were going to be a game or two early. Yeah. And he went yeah. out and got five hits, and he was like, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to do it. 
as big as you possibly can. Like you can't do it any better than that to go five for five and do it on a home run. It doesn't get any better than that. And that again is one of like my favorite Jeter moments because of course he did it that way. Of course he did. Yeah. 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 By the way, the only franchise that really is able to master getting rid of the guys at the right time and cutting the emotion is the Patriots and Bill Belichick. They missed by a year on their quarterback. I was going to say, except he went and won a Super Bowl. So not exactly. But he did it over. That's why the Pats have been so relevant for for at least 19 years, you know, not so much last year, but they knew when to roll it over. And Brady was always going to be the tough call. When do you do it? Um, But that's the only one. But some of these guys are so good and so great. Could you imagine Derek Jeter playing in another uniform? No. No. And we'll see if the Brady, like if Brady goes and wins, even if he wins one more Super Bowl, like they clearly let him go too early and they didn't have a choice. He wanted out. So I think yeah. it was different. You know, he wanted to go prove he could win without Belichick and, and he did that. He did. Um, but Brady's like the exception to the rule. He feels like yeah. we're going to be talking at 46. It's finally going to be like, all right, now it's time. But we've been saying that since he was 38, like it was like, Oh, when is the decline going to happen every year? This in the off season, it's like, Oh, Brady's going to decline. He's 44 years old. He's 44 still playing in the NFL. Absurd. <laughs> That's the, the mark the of greatness. That's the yeah. mark of greatness. And and the, the the category people were talking about, Brady and Jeter, is the guest list isn't big. Mm-hmm. Okay. So only a few select people get that shot. Do you hold on to them for an extra year or two, treat them right, give them the proper send-off? And the Yankees had to do that. And again, the people that blame Jeter for that are nuts. Um, that it's it's the situation more than the player. The 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 thing about Brady, and I, I want to say, too, about the Brady-Jeter comparison I was thinking of is also the Teflon. You do not see anything bad. The people that I that always tease me and say, I hate Brady. What do you hate about Brady? I don't see him tweeting this or doing this or the drug stuff or suspension. You want to hate Tony Brown? Go ahead. Well, the flake okay. eight was a little right. bit of something, but, you know. Oh, it was a lot of something. Where's my hammer? Yeah, I know, I know. But, but there is... Fumbler. If, if you are not a fan uh, of that yes. team, Yankees or Red Sox yep. or, or Yankees or Patriots, then Patriots, there's a yeah. hatred feeling. Yep. But I think yep. in many cases, it's also because they're winners. And Jeter, mm-hmm. from the minute he was in that locker room, uh, he didn't become a leader at a young age. But the veterans back then, similar to Brady, said, this guy is it. As Sean said, mm-hmm. this guy's special. And the veterans started playing better for him. So Jeter, in many ways, was a captain at a very early age because of the type of personality and the belief they had of him as a person and as a winner. Yeah. And, and in sports, nine times out of 10, the word hate is really synonymous with the term respect. Right. Yeah. Right. You respect yep. the guy, but you hate him so much because he's so damn good. And he yep. kills you every time he plays you. So. I think the interesting thing about the C is that normally you think of like a captain in any sport as like, the guy who is outspoken and who is going to get after you. And maybe he did a little bit of that in the locker room, but like I always think of the quote, speak softly and carry a big stick. There was no one who did that better than Derek Jeter. Barely ever spoke. Even when he spoke to the media, you were never like enthralled or wowed. He said the right stuff. He was pretty quiet, but man, did he carry a big stick? So like he did what a lot of people just haven't been able to do. And that's like kind of fly under the radar, but be one of the best players of all time, which is, is yeah. pretty crazy. Whiteboard time? I say it's whiteboard time. Whiteboard time. You want me to start? Go for it. All right. What horse Guys, is on is... that shirt? What'd you say? What's oh, horse tis, is on your shirt? Tis the law. Oh, okay. Local guy. Uh, women's tennis. 
I know it's really generic. I could have written like U.S. Open final, whatever. Um, but we like to give love to sports other than baseball, football, hockey on this show. Right. And I like to give love to the ladies when I can. Guys, I think the future of women's tennis is so bright and it it wasn't any more clear than in the final to the U.S. Women's Open. You got two teenagers, first of all, which is absolutely crazy. 18 and 19 years old who were playing in the U.S. Open final. And I know they're not Americans and the future of women's tennis for America is maybe a little more suspect than the future of women's tennis as a whole. But I'm talking kind of broad scope, like to have two teenagers in the women's final and to have them do what they did. Emma Raducanu from Great Britain uh, and Layla Fernandez, like they were both so likable and they just plowed their way through that tournament and gave us a great final and everything about it just made you feel good. Like the U.S. Open, they could be a tough crowd and you could tell they fell in love with both of those girls, particularly Emma Raducanu, who she was unseated, won every single set she played at the U.S. <laughs> Open and knocked off people who were twice her age, who were ranked in the top 20 in the women's tennis. Like she just kind of went casually about it. She was 100 to one going into the U.S. Open and she won it. So I just think like props to her, props to both of those girls. They were fantastic. And it's like, they're still kids. They're still teenagers. So they are kids. I say girls because they're not like real adults yet. You know what I mean? They feel like kids. So awesome for them. I can't wait to see what both of them do from here on out, but I also can't wait to see where the sport goes um, because it's gotten a little bit older and now let's get back. We've got a youth movement coming and I love it. Well, Ashley, you know how I feel about women's sports. Uh, I do. From when I started at New Haven as a student SID and wondering why women's sports didn't get this or that. And I've been able to work in a charity and on here talk about WNBA and stuff. So it is very exciting. To me, the thing that stood out really was Billie Jean King's comments and to see her smile because she's been concerned about the future of women's tennis for quite some time. And to see her out there smiling and her comments about how exciting it is. And to me, it's not about an American or Canadian or Brit. Mm -hmm. To me, it's about two tremendous young women's sports athletes in a sport that can use a great future. And this is not taking anything away from the Williams sisters or others, but it's nice to see that. We've seen it in golf where you have the next generation, and now we want to see it in uh, in women's tennis. And if Billie Jean King is happy, that's a great sign. She yes. deserves to be happy and excited about the future, Sean. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago in, in women's tennis that you were at your peak at the age of 22. Yep. You <laughs> think back years ago, you know, with uh, exceptions, Chris Everett and Martina. Um, but even going back, uh, Steffi Graf, um, you know, Martina Hingis and everything, they kind of filtered out a little bit once they hit their 20s. Yeah, it's always good to have some fresh blood. And then as you were talking, Ashley, I just kept thinking of that term, youthful exuberance that we used with the Blue Jays. And yep. um, you know, good for these girls. Maybe they just kind of you kind of get some momentum going and enjoy the experience and don't worry too much about the pressure. You know, let it take care of itself and then have a good time. See what happens. Yeah. And Ashley, how about the faces after? Isn't it awesome to watch their reaction about just soaking it in? Yep. You know, and some, you don't know what their future holds, but as they become veterans and it's, people will be able to look back at that emotional moment mm -hmm. and realize, look at how, like you said, look at their ages mm -hmm. and they're out there and they're just in awe of what they have achieved. It, it's so refreshing to see. It really is. And listen, Fernandez had just lost and she gets up to the mic 
and is talking about 9-11 and New York and the resilience of New Yorkers, for her in that moment to have the maturity and the foresight to not be so upset and absorbed in herself and that that major loss that she's feeling, which I'm sure was crushing, like good for her because I'm not sure there are many 18, 19 year olds on the planet who would have done that. And Sean, maybe not even many 38 year old athletes would have thought of that either. (laughs) No, no. Eric, what's on your mind? What's on your board? What's on your board? Oh boy. Kickers. Okay. It's about time to, this is something that's pretty passionate for me because I, I don't think, uh, they get the love they deserve. So in the real world, nobody is perfect. Nobody is expected to be. I'm sure not. In the NFL world, though, kickers are not perfect, and yet they are expected to be. Rain, cold, hail, snow, 52 yards in the wind with his team down by two. Expect perfection. Let's give some love to NFL kickers, okay? Mason Crosby made 23 straight playoff field goals, missed one. He's a bum. How about his 56 and 51-yarders in a playoff win over Dallas? Graham Gano of the Jets, 31 of 32 last year. He missed a 57-yard. Are we going to put him on the back page of the post? Come on. Morton Anderson, he of Michigan State. Was an NFL kicker for 25 years. He made 80% of his field goals. If you do 80% in other sports, nobody yaps at you about the 20%. You failed. Okay, so I get it. Some deserve it. Dan Bailey last year, 15 of 22 Sergio Castillo, 8 of 13, seriously. But it is the one position in the sport in which you and only you that everyone knows it will be on you at that moment can determine the outcome. Think about that, you two. Coaches even call a timeout as you are about to kick. Okay, you could have a rare bad snapper hole, but you get my point. We don't know if a QB will pass or run, if a receiver will catch or drop, if a running back will take it to the house. We don't know if a guy will get a pick six or recover a fumble. So the next time you see a gloomy guy in the grocery store on a Tuesday morning and you recognize his face, give him a hug. He's an NFL kicker who got released the previous morning because he wasn't perfect. Hey, Gary Anderson, 98 season, made every kick he tried until the NFC title game, and he hooked one for the Vikings against Atlanta, and they – did not go to the Super Bowl, and guess what? And he's remembered for that kick, I think, more than anything else. Yeah. Listen, you got to feel for the guys. They're they're goats, and not in the term that has become so popular. They're always just like you know the slaughtered, like they're they're scapegoats for everyone else. Like they're the excuse for oh well, he can't miss the game winning kick. Well, if you scored seven more points, if you caught that touchdown in the end zone, if you didn't fumble the ball six times then you wouldn't have been in this position. And that's always what I go back to is like, if you didn't exactly. put him in that position, he wouldn't have had to then kick it and miss the field goal. So yeah, they're about the right guard, Ashley, that gave up three sacks. We don't have yep. him. Yep. And that's, and no one will ever, it's, it's the, the beauty and the, the not beauty of the position. Granted, they know going into it that this is the career path that they've chosen and they get paid like an NFL player to kick a ball. They barely have to practice. Like there are plenty of, positives to being an NFL kicker but the biggest negative is that you if you're kicking it's generally I would say one out of every three or four times it is to win the game or lose the game so Ashley were you channeling Hyman Roth there this is the (laughs) Godfather 2 that's what it sounded that's the first thing that popped into my head 
Hey, we see a recent promo, and Ashley is seen uh, making a field goal attempt. Well, yeah, making an attempt, not making the field goal. I will be honest there. That's uh, When we did our Empire show, I was part of my thing was like the tough job of a field goal kicker. And let me tell you, it's tough. And then once you've tried, I told Eric, once you've tried five or six times, well, now you're tired and you're not making it. So (laughs) I thought as a soccer player with like a little bit of soccer background, listen, I hadn't played soccer in 20 years. But I thought with like a little bit of a soccer background, it would be easier than it was. And it was not easy. True story. Albany Firebirds way back in the day, arena football. Uh, I would usually be with a group of people. We'd be one of the first people at the tailgate party with mm-hmm. cooler of adult beverages, let's just say. Got approached by a staffer saying, do I want to be part of the halftime show where you have three people. You got to spin around the baseball bat at midfield. Oh. Right. And you're wearing a helmet. Everybody runs down to the end of the field. You have a snapper, a holder and a kicker. I told him, I said, look, I kicked a little bit in high school, just a little bit. JV, yeah. you know, not much, but I'll do the kicking one. We got done with the bat spin and I took one step and fell. I fall on my face. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, dizziness, gravity and a few of those adult beverages. We get up there. I made the second kick, and the arena Ooh. football goalposts are very narrow. Yeah, they're we, tiny. We, won, we all won free drinks for the rest of the night. That I oh my it. god! We won free drinks at the at the, at the at a hotel right down the road from us. So that that's my it's probably my highlight of my uh, when, athletic career. That's awesome. When I when I travel with college football teams, um, you know, we'd go and we'd have media with us and stuff, and I would eat with the team. Well, they have shifts, okay? So the D line guys and linebackers, O line guys. Special teams always ate last. So you go in, you know, eggs all over the place, a little bacon. You go, can we please get some food for them because they're part of the team? And I would sit with a kicker and punter, and they're like, wow, you're sitting with us? You know, and it was fun because they're so different. Even the yeah. NFL, you see them, they're working on this stuff, and they're talking yep. to this guy. And and a lot of the players can't relate. And it's not that way in many sports where you have pockets of people. I know about coordinators. I'm not talking about coaching, but just they have such a different mindset. It's almost like it's an individual mindset like tennis or golf. But, boy, was it fun just to sit with those kids if we could find any food left after the (laughs) D-line. Yeah, right. (laughs) All right. We ready? Let's do it. All right. It's mid-September. Last one. Right. Fall, autumn is upon us, but guess what? The heat is on, folks. The heat is on. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. The uh, heat look, is college on. football. Clay Hilton leads the USC Trojans onto the field <laughs> last week, and they get thumped at home by Stanford, who's not very good. Clay Hilton in his eighth year is dismissed from his position the other day. And if I'm Mike Norvell in Florida State, uh, you better beat Wake Forest on Saturday or else you may yeah. not get back on the plane from Winston-Salem. Here's the thing with college football. The coaches, a lot of the – Randy Edsel already re- retired at Connecticut mm-hmm. after after one bad loss to Holy Cross. He, was, he didn't finish out the year like was the plan. College football, a lot of your your big programs are finding out some very difficult things right now. That the, the heat is on Scott Frost in Nebraska, Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, and you have countless other programs – where you don't know what you're going. Texas loses big to Arkansas the other night. Miami is a should have lost Appalachian State Mm -hmm. to avoid an 0-2 start. Some of these – Ohio State loses their first regular season home game, I think, in four years, although against Oregon, but Oregon team playing without their two best best players. 
college football, the coaching is is the the hot seat is is on fire, and it might be a bigger topic for us down the road. But yeah. but if 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 I'm USC and I'm going to dismiss Clay Helton after your second game, why didn't you do it in the offseason? Yeah, right. if you're if if that's his the amount of, on his leash, then that blame USC. Don't blame yep. Clay Helton. You should have made a change in the offseason, or you should have made a change every other year when it was rumored that it was going to happen. So, you know, fight on. I, I don't know about that. And you guys got to get your house in order. And, uh, you know, again, if you're going to fire a coach after two games, you should have done it in the offseason. Yeah, I agree. It's crap. And it weren't they one and one? Like, I get it. You lost to a yeah. bad Stanford team, but like you're, you weren't even 0 and 2. Like, forget. And if I was Clay Helton, I'd be like, you know what? I'll see you later. I'll go be an assistant coach at Alabama and then I'll hand it to you if you ever get to the point where you're good enough to hang with Alabama, which you won't. Because they haven't <laughs> since Reggie Bush, but yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Sean, the, the all the names that you came up were the five that I that I had come up with as the most like, and even just the last twenty years, the programs that have fallen the furthest: Nebraska, Michigan, Florida State, Texas, USC. Um, and to me, Texas obviously Sarkeesian's going to have a much longer leash than the rest of them because it's his first year. Um, but I just I'm not sure when these programs are going to take that step and are going to get back. They had those iconic coaches like Mac Brown and Bobby Bowden. Those were guys that had, they just had cultures and it was different. And then things like for Mac Brown, I understand things sort of unraveled for him a little bit, but a lot changed. And we, again, we can talk about this another day, but those five to me are ones that are like, what, what has happened to those programs? Uh, the blue bloods have fallen. Yep. Well, folks, ADs used to be former stars at this school, USC in particular, Pat Hayden, Lynn Swan. Okay. But now many move on and elsewhere. So let's look at Mike Bone as an example. He's hired as a businessman. Okay. He led Idaho, San Diego State, Colorado, Cincinnati. We see where the track was going. He's been there two years, wants to make his mark. This is the pros. It is not college football. It's basically professional football it's a business and it operates like another business the nfl basically and i'm talking from a pr person in that you know with that team and locally let's take a look at this one we have a team that is hosting an fbs team and the coach said of their guests this is their super bowl come on stop playing with fire stop providing the bulletin boards i've seen them okay and respect these young men in the other locker room that's disrespect and if you lose to them which is Sean, Ashley, you folks have given examples. It's happening. And you talk like that, then you're adding not just fuel to the fire in that locker room, but the fuel to the fire that'll burn your contract. Mm -hmm. I want to see more respect. Come on. Yeah, Florida State, Florida State losing on that Hail Mary to Jacksonville State. If it gets lower than that in Tallahassee, I can't imagine what that would be. No yeah. disrespect to Jacksonville State. I'll say good for Dion, but... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, the, the heat is really on Norvell this week. He's got to, got to at least go go beat Wake Forest. Um, yeah. You know, they didn't have a lot of a lot of patience there uh, a few years ago. So, yeah, that's it. But uh, the heat is on, folks, just because it's fall, not on these coaches. It's not the fall. It's midsummer. Yep. All right. Thanks for joining us. We will do it all again next week. Who knows where we'll be? We'll be, you know, we'll be seven days closer to the wild, wild, wild card race being over. <laughs> um, so we'll know a little bit more. There will be teams that are totally out of it that have clinched. So we'll get into that. And we'll, we'll always talk NFL because who doesn't love the NFL and each week we'll learn something new and we'll overreact to something else. So we'll do that again next week. 
Sean, Eric, it's been fun. We'll see you next week. You can find us Apple, YouTube, Spotify, Twitter at MMMATB1. Be the first one to retweet or share our show on those platforms and hashtag it with Paisan's Pizza. We'll give you a gift card. See you next week, guys. Very good. See you all next week. Great week.